Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. weird compared to what i normally do i'll take it we try to get creative here on the big orange podcast i'm charlie burris that is zach reagan welcome to the a to z sports big orange podcast wherever you listen throughout the world we thank you so much for listening to us zach and i talk everything balls every week here on the big orange podcast and if you want to listen to that regularly go over to the a to z sports podcast network feed and when you get there, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. If you do subscribe, you won't miss our show when we drop them on Mondays. Speaking of Mondays, it is one right now. It is Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And that is when we live stream on YouTube this show. And if you go over to the A to Z Sports Nashville uh, YouTube page, you can subscribe and turn on that notification bell. And then when we go live, you can tune in and you can be a part of the show. You can very literally comment come hang out be a part of the show give us your thoughts but you do you gotta go subscribe and and then you can find us there at charlie underscore burris at zach tnt at a to z sports a to z sports.com oh facebook.com slash a to z sports natural and a to z sports.com for everything that zach and i write on the old internets we're gonna start off today's show a little bit of a uh somber Note, obviously, we will get into all of the Tennessee news of the last week. Unfortunately, most of it has to do with basketball, and that didn't go so hot, but we'll discuss all of that. But first, we got to talk about the passing of a true Tennessee legend, Gus Manning, at the age of 99, uh, passed away, I believe, yesterday, um, Sunday, the February 12th. Um, I'll just kind of read if, if you don't know Gus Manning, I mean, he's one of the stalwart figures of all time at in Tennessee athletics. Uh, I'll just read what Tennessee put out today. Cause I, I thought it was a great summation of just sort of who he was as a person. He was kind of a Jack of all trades. I said, Tennessee athletics lost the last remaining administrative link with link with direct ties to general Robert Neeland as the beloved Charles a Manning also known as Gus, passed away on Sunday in his hometown of Knoxville. He was 99 years old. Manning retired in 2000 after close to 50 years of full-time service to UT. He maintained an office at Thompson Bowling Arena until 2017 and held the title of consultant athletics director until his passing. He served for eight ADs, 11 head football coaches during his career at Tennessee. The impact Manning made on the evolution of Tennessee athletics internal operations, much of which was done behind the scenes and away from the spotlight, was no less significant than the contributions of iconic names such as Neeland, Doherty, Cronin, uh, Dickey, and Pat Summit. Uh, this is uh, terribly sad. Obviously, he lived a very full life at 99 years old. And Zach, you and I both uh, have met Gus. We were in UT Media, both of us, um, for a while. 
And, uh, you know, I've, I've sat beside him at press conferences and he was, <laughs> I even texted you this today, absolute royalty. Like he, when he came into a room with UT media, everybody shook his hand. Everybody knew who he was. And he always had a reserved seat it's, it's in the press box in Neyland. They had like the Gus Manning seat. Uh, it, it was an amazing career that, that he had. Yeah, for sure. It was, uh, it's like a sense of reverence, like when you saw him in the press box or wandering around. I, you know, I wasn't like some of the media members, obviously deeply entrenched that go back decades and and have these close relationships with him. But I was telling you in a text earlier, I remember riding, you know, several elevator ride trips with him, making small talk, and just the the connection that he had to the past. It was like something that you could feel, you know all these changes that have happened at Tennessee over the decades, especially the last, you know, 10, 20 years, he was that one connection, you know, to, to decades and decades and decades ago to, to Neyland all the way through. And uh, it's kind of like a comforting thing, I guess, in a way, just knowing that that history that the, that you had that connection to the past. So yeah, it, it is really obviously sad uh, that he's gone and, and, you know, full life of course, but that that's always sad and, and just such an iconic figure in, in Tennessee history. Icon is really the right word. So just uh, salute to Gus Manning. Uh, RIP to him. Thoughts and prayers to his family. Um, but man, what a what a life lived. Uh, an incredible guy with an incredible legacy. So just lots wanted of, to start lots of off. Stories, you know, lots of stories that, oh, that, that, that went with him for sure. I, I can't imagine. He's it said it in that article that I just read the the last administrative link directly to General Neeland. I mean, he worked with Robert Neeland. Like that's absolutely wild uh, and and just incredible. But uh, just had to mention that up top before we get into all of the stuff uh, such as this. Obviously, when we get into the show, um, this is a sponsored show that we do for money. I didn't want it. I didn't want it to be in poor taste where we load you up with sponsors on the front end and talk about Gus Manning. So now we're going to get into the actual uh, the show and the flow of everything here. And uh, before we do that, I got to tell you about all the sponsors of the show. And huge news. We got two new sponsors last week. We have another sponsor this week. And really, it's it's the, the gang's all back together because these were our, our sponsors from the football season. Uh, but I'll read them all out now. Superbook Sports. There's no better place to wager on the big game. This Oh, sorry. <laughs> the, this one. I need to update this one. There's no, I'll just put it this way. There's no better place to wager on sports than Superbook Sports. Go to superbook.com uh, and download the app today, Superbook Sports, then rattle and snap Tennessee whiskey back for more. Love these guys uh, from Logstill Distillery. Make your own luck like Tennessee football's fast paced rattle and snap offense with rattle and snap Tennessee whiskey. Omaha Steaks, you can get $30 off your order of perfectly aged steaks, juicy burgers, and decadent desserts with our promo code VOLS. That is V O L S. That's Omaha Steaks. And finally, Farm Bureau Health Plans for better. Uh, coverage, better rates, and better service. Go to fbhb.com slash ATOZ Farm Bureau Health Plans. A little bit more on all of those a little later in the show, but thank you, thank you, thank you to all of them for supporting the boys here. We appreciate it. Now, on to Tennessee news and notes. That was a doozy of a week, wasn't it, Zach? And Tennessee sports. The basketball team goes out. And they lose at Vandy. And, you know, Tennessee had won 11 straight against Vandy. They were kind of due, I guess. Vandy played a really great game. Salute to them. They they did it. Tennessee gave them a wide open shot. And we we actually did a whole segment about it on, 
I guess it was Thursday of last week. So we we fleshed that out. If you want to listen to that, go go back in on uh, A to Z Sports video catalog there. You can find us talking about it. But then on Saturday, they play Missouri, who's not a bad team. It's not good. I was telling you before we came on here, basically, you look at their schedule. They've gotten plastered by most of the good teams they've played. They, they really haven't given many of those teams, I mean, much of a run. And Tennessee gets down by 17 in this game, makes a miracle comeback, and for the second straight game in a row, loses on an absolutely brutal essentially half court shot. It was past half court, but close enough. Um, I mean, it's probably the, the most brutal week of Tennessee basketball that I can remember in a really, really long time. I mean, I don't, one doesn't come straight to mind at least. I mean, what'd you think, Zach? It's like reliving the 2017 Florida game uh, oh. all over again, especially that Missouri game, because, you know, they were down in that game, came back, had the lead and it's last second pass to, to lose the game. It's what that Missouri game felt like. You battle your way back, and you feel like the game's in control. Just like the Vanderbilt game, you feel like, okay, they're going to pull this out. It's going to be okay. They got this. You know, you can, you can kind of tell when a team has it wrapped up. And it felt like it was heading that direction. And, you know, when Vestavi missed that the second free throw, I was like, there's no way this is going to happen again. I, I told you, I was like, I, I didn't even think they would get a shot off. Because you see that so much in college basketball. Everything has to go just right. Getting the ball up the floor you know, actually getting a shot off. And it's unfortunate if Vescovy would have made that free throw, Tennessee could have just fouled and, and they wouldn't have had a chance to even tie the game. They would have went to the line, shot a couple of free throws, and, and Tennessee could have ran the clock out pretty much at that point. So obviously the missed free throw was 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 a you know was gonna get all the attention. But Tennessee really never should have been in that position to begin with, right? Like they should have never been yeah. down in the first half like that to Missouri. But they were and they battled their way back. So there's positives there to take from it. And, you know, that one shot kind of erases that, which is unfortunate because if that shot claims off the rim and, and they miss it, well, everything that happened up until that point is still true. The incredible comeback, the second half surge, you know, getting back in that game and kind of taking control of it, all that still happened. Like, you can't erase all of that just because that desperation shot went in. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy that you you hedge your emotions on on that one shot, but... I mean, that's how it goes. Ultimately, it only matters if you won or lost. But I, I do think there were some positives in that second half to take away. It's just hard to see those when, when there's a loss uh, in the loss column there. I think the toughest thing walking away from that one is that if Tennessee would have just won, it's the perfect teachable moment because you got your butt absolutely kicked up and down the court for like 80% of that game. And then that 20% where in like 10 minutes, I guess maybe, maybe that'd be 25%. Uh, basically in a quarter of the game, Tennessee came out and looked like a whole different team altogether. I mean, it was really wild, honestly, to the point where I, I'll put it this way. I didn't know they had that in them. I didn't think that this team, when when they got down by 17 points, I, I tweeted out, I was like, something to the effect of, so are we still going to call this, everybody calm down, it's just a midseason game, or can we talk about the reality of this team? I said something along those lines, because this team is not built to come back from 17 points down. They're just not. They can't score the basketball. 
As I mean, you could see it there. They were down by 17 points. And then all of a sudden, specifically Tyreek Key, just exploded. Had an absolutely huge game. And you look at the way they played. They played with fire. They played with, with all of this excitement. The crowd really got into it. And it was extremely exciting. And you, you watch what happened. They got, what, a five, six-point lead at one point. Um, back from being 17 down. And you just went, oh, my gosh. Here it is. The, the, they're back. The team is back. The, like, how they, they were playing with total desperation. And that's, frankly... That's what they have to find within themselves. And and that was going to be sort of my talking point if Tennessee ended up winning. They have to find that desperation within themselves because now, for an indeterminate amount of time, maybe back on Wednesday, maybe out for longer, Josiah Jordan James is out, uh, and now Julian Phillips is out. Julian Phillips had a hip flexor, I think they called it, and was out for the entire second half of that game. He was out for that entire comeback. Um, And so they, the bottom line is this. They didn't win. And so it just makes that loss really gross. You you played some of your best basketball the entire season to make that comeback, and you saw that it's there. And so a teachable moment goes into just a really gross loss, which is still a teachable moment, but just hurts a lot more. <laughs> um, and so if you want to put a silver lining on it, maybe this is the motivation they need to get desperate. Number one, Alabama's coming in on Wednesday. Maybe this is what they needed to just fight and claw and and be that team that in that 10-minute stretch made that 17-point comeback. Because if they do that, it's Final 14. If they play like they did in that first half, where they're you know over-pursuing on threes and letting a, a decent, not great team run all over them, they're going to lose to Alabama by 30. I, I Alabama's an excellent basketball team. They're they're a little dependent on one guy, but that one guy's amazing at basketball. <laughs> so, I uh, hope hopefully this is the catalyst. I'll say that. I know there's two things I wanted to ask you about this game and about you know kind of moving forward. They go hand in hand. One, you know, if Josiah Jordan James plays, they probably beat Missouri, right? But probably how. <laughs> I mean, how, how comforting is that, though? Because you don't know when he's coming back. You don't know how long he's going to be out. So you can't say, you know, like you might have to go the rest of the season without him. And in that same vein, like the defense the past two games, especially against Missouri, giving up, you know, 80, what, 86 points. And even against Vanderbilt at times, they shot pretty well against Tennessee. Do you feel like the defense has slipped a little bit these last couple of weeks? Is it the – can we kind of talked about this a little bit last week? Is it the wear and tear of long season and playing so physical? How do those two things, you know, Josiah Jordan James being out and the defense the last couple of games, how do you feel about that moving forward? How does it impact your view of, of what's possible the rest of the season? Yeah, I think what you really saw in that game was that Josiah Jordan James brings a defensive element that cannot be replicated on the rest of that roster. He is more lengthy and more athletic than, than the guys behind him. It, and, you know, I say that like, Basically, Phillips plays behind him, and I think Phillips actually has a higher ceiling, but he's just not there yet. I think his motivation is not there. I don't want to say he plays lazy, but he's not. His talents aren't being maximized at the moment, and so you take that at what it is. Um, and so, I, you know, I saw some people the the calm down. It's just a midseason game crowd. They were very much like, "Oh, this is just a freak shooting night for Missouri." No, it's not. I mean, they they. 
they made some shots that were freak stuff. Absolutely. I I guess I could say it this way. If they don't make freak shots, they probably lose. But freak shots were not the sole reason you were down by 17. If that makes sense. Like, yes, they made some shots with a hand directly in their face. And Tennessee probably couldn't have been playing better defense than they were. You're going to have those, though. Exactly. That's going to happen. It's going to happen against Alabama. Lord, They're an excellent shooting team. So expect that against Alabama. But some, like, that that was only a portion. They made 14 threes. They didn't make 14 freak threes. <laughs> like, that's yeah. not what happened in that game. As, as I said, over-pursuing on shots. They, they don't have the same length without Josiah Jordan-James to defend the perimeter. I also think just the game plan in general was off, in, in that first half at least. Like, they, they just didn't come in with the right anything in that one, and then they got blown off the floor uh, through – you know, essentially 25 minutes of that game. And I, I, I don't know where you start. Cause there is a lot to it. I, multiple people after that game asked me like, do you think this is Barnes fault? And my answer to that is like, I have for years now, go back and listen on this podcast if you feel the need, but I have for years now, essentially disagreed with the overarching way that Rick strategizes games. I don't like the way that he runs offense. We've talked about it. It's kind of a 1990s, like the game has passed you by sort of offense. And uh, defensively, obviously, I I love that. But can you depend on it all the time when a team is having a hot shooting night? No, clearly (laughs) the past two games, you you haven't been able to do that. And so it's sort of yes and no, because in a lot of instances on Tennessee's offense against not great teams, like against Vandy and Missouri, you were getting open shots and just bricking them, or you were getting layups and not making them. I mean, Olivia Kamwa has these great games where you really see the talent. And then he just is, is nowhere. He's nothing. He's not even a factor. And you know, sometimes he's so much not a factor that he's a legitimate liability. And, you know, I like somebody in the comments here said, yeah, the distinguished gentleman said, Key will never shoot that good in his life. It, it feels that way. He had that miracle game, but the way things have gone with this team, how are we supposed to believe that he's going to replicate that going forward? Because they haven't done that all season. A guy will have a great game, and the very next game they disappear. And that's for multiple dudes across this roster. So it's... There's just a lot to it. So it, I, I kind of go, it's the coach and it's the players. There's it's both. That's what I was about to say. How do you answer this question here from Pat Rose? Is it me or has this team not looked well coached? I don't know that they look poorly coached necessarily. They're they're pretty good fundamentally. They play sound defense. They play especially sound defense when Josiah Jordan James is on the floor. Um, it's just like their bad moments have come in really yeah. critical moments <laughs> yeah. where it's just so glaringly obvious like it's basketball you're gonna have turnovers and mistakes and defensive lapses but theirs have come at times when it's just like it's like that holding call in the super bowl sunday night like that happens in the middle of a game you don't think that much of it but it alters the outcome of the game which is what these mistakes by tennessee have done and it kind of makes you think that maybe they're poorly coached but you're not getting a ton of that throughout a game no and and to, to the points that people made, like, oh, Toby Awaka cost you that game. Toby Awaka had a great game in that one. Yeah, it was it was a lane violation that for some 
reason the I I mean I even got confused and tweeted about it. The people on TV said it was a foul, and I was like, a foul? Where do you ever see a foul called in that scenario? And then after the fact, we found out it was just a lane violation. Um, I mean, it was a lane violation when you watch the replay. It it was, but you, Toby Awaka is not the reason that you were down by 17 at one point in that game. Because the, re- the the main point is that you never should have been down by that much. If you don't go down by that much, you win that game by 15 uh, and and just walk away. I, But yeah, and, and Vescovy too. If you go, oh, well, Vescovy should have just made the free throw, then it wouldn't have mattered. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's he was one of the main reasons that you were in that spot. He was part of that big run and, and was one of the sparks on and, along with Tyreek Key. So... I'm uh, yeah. Like Ashton says it here. You're just missing a real leader of a player they, they don't have that alpha dog. They just don't. And so that's to, to prescribe some things here. What Tennessee has to do to get back on track. I, they have it in there. Do they have it enough to suddenly become a final four caliber team on a consistent basis? I'm not sure. But do they have enough to close out on close out this season with more than one win? I mean, the one bona fide win remaining on the schedule is South Carolina. And you have to play Texas A&M. You have to play at Auburn. You have to play at Kentucky. You have to play Alabama. Those, I mean, as of this moment, those are all losses in my mind outside of the South Carolina game, unless they find something. And that something is kind of what I was alluding to earlier, desperation. That something is just going all out trying to find solutions, trying to find a guy who will step up and and be, you know, maybe grab guys by the collar. But is is that guy Josiah Jordan James and he's sitting on the bench with an injury? I'm not sure. Yeah, to me, that's the biggest concern is Josiah, Josiah Jordan James and, and how long he's going to be out and when he comes back. Because I just, I don't know if you can make that final four run without him in the lineup. I, I just, I don't think that's going to happen. That'd be tough. But if he's there, if he plays, I still think it's all there in front of Tennessee. Like we've seen them, you know, the stretch against Missouri where they got back in the game, the game against Texas. Like we've seen them look like a Final Four team at times this year. Like we know that they have that in them. Maybe this does get them, you know, kind of like Kentucky there briefly when right before they played Tennessee. You know, we talked about how okay, Kentucky could be dangerous this weekend because they're they're kind of at rock bottom right now, and and Tennessee's not like at rock bottom. I mean, they're still ranked number ten in the country. It's not like this, you know, they're floundering and uh, you got to go fire Rick Barnes or anything like that. Like, I, I don't think anybody realistically wants that to happen. Anybody in their right mind, that's just kind of silly, but it's all still there in front of them. Everything they want to accomplish is still there. They can still be, you know, some of these games, they just still be a two seed. I think a one seed is probably yeah. out of the picture at this point, but they could still be two seed, three seed. I mean, everything is there for them for them to uh, to make this run. If they go beat Alabama Wednesday night, I think the the whole tone around this team flips. I think everybody's right back to being excited. Everybody's right back. You know, okay, this is the team that that Barnes can really make a run with. I think uh, I think you can erase all the doubt if you beat Alabama Wednesday night. I mean, it's got to be considered the biggest game of the year because yes, you're really, you know, it, it's your last, not last real chance, but it's your best chance to prove that you're an elite team the rest of the season until you get into a tournament, the SEC tournament. I mean, it's, we say the team needs to get desperate. Barnes needs to get desperate. Like he has, surely he has to be thinking that this is not good. 
he felt like to me that he sounded a little different after the game against Missouri. Like he was a little more like that's a back breaking loss. Trying to comfort uh fans, the team, perhaps in a way, you know, kind of saying basically I've repeated a lot of what he said, you know, that it's all still there in front of them. Uh, I think he was trying to calm calm everything down a little bit. It was just a little different than his normal demeanor. Well, on on that note, uh, I want to talk about two things in this conversation with basketball, one being the Alabama game. We'll kind of give our quick thoughts on that. But then the main basketball account tweeted essentially an apology um, after that game, and we'll talk about that. But before we do, I got to tell you about our first great sponsor, and that is Super Book Sports. Make 2023 the year the UB Vegas Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond. Setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds, boosts, and promo bets that you will find anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com right now and start your battle against Vegas. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. That is Superbook Sports. Now, with this tweet that Tennessee basketball had, let me let me find it. I didn't have it up in front of me. Uh, but this was, <laughs> they didn't directly apologize. I'm trying to think of exactly how to characterize what they said here. Here it is right here. This is what they said. We know it's been a weird couple weeks. <laughs> they shouldn't have put this in there. <laughs> they said, they said sports really do be like that. Sometimes it's like apologetic up front, and, <laughs> and then sports do be like that sometimes. But last night's second half effort, that was Tennessee basketball. And the second half TBA atmosphere, that was what Vol Nation is all about. So stick with us, keep showing up, and we will meet you there. I I like this and I don't. I I, I think it's it's unnecessary. <laughs> like it just like we all get that it was really painful, but it's it is an olive branch to the fans, and I think it's good because there has been criticism of Barnes of just like he kind of puffs his chests out and it's my way or the highway, and if you don't like it, go on and get out, and that's sort of just like general demeanor, especially like the way that he talks about his players after games. And so that's probably good. It's probably fine. I guess I'm ambivalent about it. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I think it's nice to kind of talk to the fan base. I, I think more programs should do that. Because that's obviously, you know, that's who's supporting you and, and and paying a lot of the bills is the paying fans. At the same time, I think it just opens you up to so much criticism from other fan bases. And I haven't I haven't been on Twitter a ton since Saturday night, uh, just with the Super Bowl going on and a lot of stuff. So I don't really know how the reaction to that tweet was from opposing fan bases, but I feel like it's just giving opposing fan bases ammo. And, you know, they love that when it comes to Tennessee. So I feel like yeah. it you open yourself up to some uh, unnecessary criticism there but at the same time I do appreciate the message to the fans like because you know it's two it's two tough losses and I feel like something needs to be said there and you know I don't know I'm the same way I don't love it I probably wish they wouldn't have done it but I respect it I understand where they're coming from I just think it it just lends you to be the punchline to, to so many jokes from other fan bases 
yeah, it, it's fine, but it, I could have done without, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but largely, like, I, I think my my point with that would be, I just hope behind the scenes, specifically with Barnes, there is an, an actual attitude change. There's got to be some urgency. Right? Exactly. It's exactly that. It's it's not that I think that they've had like a crappy attitude or anything. They've been they've been trying, but urgency is the right word. I hope there is a switch to true urgency. To we gotta go out there and and lay it out in every single game. And it starts with this Alabama game because as you said, the whole narrative can can flip if you win this Alabama game. And I I'll I'll respond to this before we talk about that game. Ben said, I don't understand how you can loudly claim regular season success doesn't matter. The league is the best it's ever been. No, it's not. It's not. It's a little bit better than it was last year. Uh, but I don't know. The The league is the best it's ever been. And then get mad. Tennessee lost two games where it showed heart and loss. I don't think that, especially in that Vandy game, I mean, you got outworked. I, I would. I don't know how else you classify that. Now, in the second half of that Missouri game, you did show heart and you did show what this team can be when, when they really uh, show, as you just said, show urgency. Um, sure. But I, I don't think that I'm saying that regular season games don't matter, but it is all about the postseason at the end of the day. And the regular season tells you what you might get in the postseason, And you have yeah, to, that's the thing. Yeah. Like the Florida, like the Florida loss didn't really bother me that much because it's a road loss, and those do happen to really good teams. Like they're, I mean, Alabama losing to Oklahoma. Uh, like you, there are games in the regular season that you will lose that are just not great losses. You just have a bad night. Like those things happen. If they go lose to Alabama by two points, it's not like that's not a huge deal. You're right there in the game. You make a shot or two, and maybe the outcome's different. It's losing the teams that you shouldn't lose to, you know, consistently. It's losing the Florida game and then rebounding, you know, the next week with the loss to Vanderbilt, a team that, you know, that game should never been close. Lost to Missouri. Can understand that one being a little closer, but, you know, it still is at home. Still a game that you should win by double digits. And when that starts piling up, I think that's where the concern uh, creeps in because of what you said. It's indicative of what might happen in the postseason, and then you got these issues that are glaring. It's like, okay, if those issues aren't fixed by March, it's going to be another early exit. That that's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, you you pretty much said it there. It, yeah, the regular season it matters in that it gets you to the postseason. You can win league championships, and that's fun. But it it is really all about that postseason. But you you learn who you are in the regular season. And at this point, when you're getting to the last portion of the regular season and you're playing like Tennessee is right now, getting blown off the floor in the first half against a not amazing team. And then, you know, and losing to Vandy. I mean, even the loss to Vandy, Vandy played well. It was on the road. The whole vibe of that whole thing was off. But, and then even, even in wins, you're playing badly, like in the, in the Auburn game. No, just look at that. that. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and at a minimum, you have to say, we got to figure something out because the tournament's about to start. And and you're talking at this point, if Tennessee loses out except for the South Carolina game, you're, you probably wouldn't fall to being a play-in team, but you'll be a six seed. I, you know, 
that's not good. That's not, and that that I mean, that's how your tournament, um, your tournament path becomes really tough. Uh, is when you you have to play those seeds that are <laughs> closer to you. You know, the the better seeds where you're not a two playing a fifteen. Um, things just become exponentially tougher in in that way. So I. I'm not sure, but it all starts with this Alabama game. We can finish with this as far as this goes. We're going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC, give our quick thoughts on that and a few other things. But um, this Alabama game, they have Brandon Miller. That's all you really got to know. Do you think Tennessee can win this game, Zach? Yeah, I mean, we've seen Alabama you know, struggle. Like you said, if, if, if Brandon Miller's not on a particular night, it significantly changes the way the game's played. I think Tennessee... That tweet that we referenced that, you know, that that isn't like they said, that's not who this team totally is. Like, obviously, they have that in them. They have these lapses in them, but they're still their body of work suggests that they are that team that was ranked in the top five. They are the team that beat Texas. They are the team that, you know, won however many games in a row before losing to Florida. So I think, yeah, it's definitely there. Nothing's changed. I, not having Jer- Josiah Jordan-James concerns me, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge piece, and I don't know for sure that he's not going to play, but it, it would kind of be a surprise to me if he did. I think that's the, really the biggest concern. But, I don't know, to me, I'm just more, like, intrigued of, okay, what do, what do we see? Do we see Barnes coaching different? Do we see different rotations? Do we see different guys getting different, you know, minutes? I, I'm more interested in – weird to say I'm almost more interested to see the approach in the final outcome because I just think that'll tell us a lot about Tennessee moving forward and if there are adjustments being made or if they're just going to try to stick with what they did against Vanderbilt and Missouri and keep doing it until it either works or doesn't potentially not having Josiah Jordan James and Julian Phillips and this one is probably the thing that scares me the most that's pretty I mean that that's who most feasibly would be guarding Brandon Miller in this one, specifically Josiah, at least personally, that's who I would probably put on him. I think just athletically, that's who could probably keep up with him the best. That's scary. That's a scary proposition. Um, I, I think you have to win in different ways this time. Um, and I'm interested to see what, what Barnes does, the approach that they take. I'm with you. Can they win? Yes. Will they win? As of right now, I'm going to say no, I, I think they'll probably lose this game. Alabama's playing excellent basketball. I watched a lot of that Auburn game, and they just big-boyed Auburn. And that, that was really the long and the short of it. They, they trailed for a pretty good chunk of that one, but at the end of the game, when it came to crunch time, when the rubber met the road, they just pulled away and, and just kind of kept them at arm's length. And they're they're very, very good. But if you, if you can eliminate Brandon Miller out of that game, it's there for you. It's absolutely there for you. And with Tennessee's defense, that could absolutely happen. But who, again, going back, if Josiah and Julian Phillips are out, who is playing defense there? I mean, Oklahoma stopped him, and they don't have anybody. You know, they're not. That game, I mean, kind of the recipe to beating them, I guess, they shot, what, 29% in that game in Oklahoma from three, and Oklahoma shot almost 70%. Like, it's pretty easy to win, you know, by 20 points whenever your opponent's shooting that, that terribly, and Oklahoma shot that well. Is that what Tennessee has to do to win this game? If that's the case, yeah, like that's concerning because you can't count on this Tennessee team to shoot that well. You can't even count on them to shoot as well as they did against Missouri. I mean, they shot really well against Missouri and and still lost the game. And they haven't been doing that very consistently. Like they've had some terrible shooting nights. So if it comes down to that, if it's like a 
to, to borrow a football term, if it's like a shootout and, and you're having to store 80, 90 points to win, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't like that. Nah, this isn't a Josh Heupel football team. You're not winning a shootout. Uh, it, it, Eric, I mean, he, he adds to it right here. He said rebounding is a major issue. Absolutely. Hopefully Toby Walker gets more playing time and, and Ben actually right above that says you've already seen Barnes give a walk a lot of minutes because of his size and aggression. Hopefully that continues. Uh, even though he made that mistake at the end, end of that game, I hope Barnes doesn't like take that personally and sit him on the bench the whole time because he's probably the best big man you have at the moment. Um, but Eric also said guards not taking the shot, and drawing fouls when they're taking it to the basket. Instead, they kick it out to the boundary and uh, they shoot and miss contested threes. Absolutely. That, that kind of goes to my point of like, I sort of disagree with Barnes's overarching offensive philosophy. I don't think his offense is very exciting. You look at what Nate Oates does. I think he's like to me in this scenario, like Nate Oates is a little bit of a Josh Heupel in terms of college basketball. Like he he really is is doing things and taking a fresh young man's approach to the game, uh, if that's what you want to call it. And so we'll see. Uh, can they did shoot, I mean, do they, it? They did get to the free throw line quite a bit more against Missouri. I mean, if they can continue yeah. that, and then the defense picks up like it was. I mean, I feel like there are, like you said, there are positives that came out of that Missouri game. It's just. You know, that final shot makes you feel about the game a lot differently than you would otherwise. But if they can continue getting to the line like that and, and actually making free throws with the majority of them, and that changes things quite a bit, I think. We shall see. That'll be Wednesday night. Maybe maybe we'll do a show on Thursday talking about it. Might do one if they win. We, we can maybe do kind of a assessment from a win over Alabama. That could actually be uh, kind of... Oh, what do you think about Zakai at the end of that game? I know Ron Slay had some some thoughts about that on the SEC Network after. Zakai's hurt the team in the last few games. I, I don't I don't know another way to say it. He, when Tennessee has been on on hot streaks or really played well, he's an absolute X factor. I mean, he's one of the best dudes on out on the floor, and he's been one of the worst dudes out on the floor. And I don't know how else you slice that. He just has been, and so yeah, I mean. To, to that same point of what we were saying, like Tennessee has the pieces to get back on track. He's part of that for sure. He You have to get back to having great play out as a Kai. That, and, and I don't even mean like making threes or anything like that. I don't think he really needs to do that, but more just not turning the ball over, facilitating better, uh, slashing to the basket more effectively. And, and honestly, slashing to the basket and not trying to force things up because he just gets blocked. It happened to him in that Missouri game. Um, I, so... Yeah, we'll, we'll see what they do. I, I think that that can also come down to Barnes and in terms of how he wants to use a guy in those games. But we'll see what happens. We do have to move on. We're going to talk about uh, the announcement that came over the last week since we last did this show. Texas and Oklahoma are going to be officially in the SEC for the 2024-25 season. And there's some interesting implications uh, that come along with that. But before we get into that, I got to tell you about uh, the newest sponsor of this show, the great folks at Rattle and Snap Tennessee Whiskey. We are deep in a winner right now. And I'll tell you, folks, there's really nothing better to go along with a chilly winter night here in the uh, great state of Tennessee than Rattle and Snap Tennessee Whiskey. Logstill Distillery has released new Tennessee whiskey line, Rattle and Snap, named after a long forgotten game of chance. Rattle and Snap is a whiskey for those that make their own luck. There is a four-year and an eight-year version of Rattle and Snap whiskey. I've I've had both of them. I have both of them in this house. Here is the eight-year right here. Speak of the devil. It's a beautiful bottle and really beautiful whiskey in this bottle. 
Um, you can find Rattle and Snap across stores in Tennessee. And Rattle and Snap is also available in Kentucky, Indiana, and Mississippi. So run. Do not walk to get some Rattle and Snap whiskey for these cold winter nights. And follow Rattle and Snap on Instagram at Rattle and Snap Whiskey. Uh, the, they do have us commissioned for a Rattle and Snap Tennessee stat of the week. Um, and we thought that we would stop here and take a, another quick second before we talk about Oklahoma and Texas coming into the SEC and mention Gus Manning once again. Some of the insane stats about this guy's time at Tennessee. Uh, here it is from Tennessee's official release, and I'll just read a couple of paragraphs here. Manning was hospitalized in 2017. Uh, the 2017 football home opener against Indiana State on September 9th ended Manning's streak of consecutive games attended at 455. That was the last game that he was ever able to see in person. And Manning attended an incredible 608 consecutive Tennessee football games, home, away, and neutral site, until an accident en route to see the Vols play Kentucky in November of 2003 caused him to return to Knoxville and miss that game. That's absolutely crazy and just you know we obviously we already talked about at the beginning of the show his crazy legacies but 608 straight games home away and neutral um is just crazy but that's that's your rattle and snap tennessee stat of the week there and another shout out to the legend uh gus manning i got a little nervous there watching you trying to put that bottle back on the shelf i know still doing the ad read that was impressive i thought so I have a movable table here that all my stuff is on. And I think it's moved forward a little bit because normally I can just reach back and it's like pretty close, but it's like almost full arm's length away now. And so I, I was having to stretch. It was, it was a balancing act. Glad I pulled it off. <laughs> you pulled it off. Yeah. Glad I pulled it off, but do get yourself some rattle and snap Tennessee whiskey. It really is awesome. Um, I highly suggest it. All righty. Texas, Oklahoma officially coming into the league in 2024. Uh, this was a long time coming. And I think the part that people are interested in is this. It's going to shake up the divisions and the talk. I mean, I, I read it, an actual uh, article. I don't remember exactly where I saw it from. But it was about the realignment of the conference when they come in. So we'll essentially probably shave off the division format that will likely be gone. And then they'll go into this sort of pod format. That's the name that's been given to it some, but it's basically nine conference games and three permanent opponents for everybody in the league. And then rotating for all the rest for the six remaining games. Um, and the projection that I've seen most frequently, and this would just be karmic justice. Would it not? It would be Tennessee getting <laughs> Alabama, Naturally, you still got to play Alabama every year, but then Vanderbilt and Kentucky as it's three person permanent opponents. Um, your thoughts on that, Zach, when, when you hear that format? Yeah, I think people are getting pretty excited about the idea of having, you know, Alabama, obviously going to be a tough game every year, but then Kentucky and Vanderbilt, two games you're, you're probably going to win most years. It's like, oh yeah, I mean, you know, this is, this is what we've been waiting for get Georgia and Florida off the schedule every single year, all these tough games, because Tennessee really has had one of the tougher, you know, setups in, in college football, uh, along with Auburn, who has to play Georgia in their crossover game and out of the SEC West. I, I think what some people aren't realizing is that you're going to play every team basically twice 
in four years, you're going to have a home and home with every single team in the SEC. So chances are you're going to be playing Alabama, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and then Georgia. And then the next year, Florida. And then the next year, Georgia again. So, and then LSU, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, I mean, different premier programs are going to be mixed in there as well. So I don't think it's that the schedule is necessarily getting easier. Plus you're, you're adding another conference game and there aren't that many Vanderbilts and Kentuckys uh, and, and, you know, Mississippi state or whoever in the sec uh, that you can count on beating. So there's still going to be some tough games. There's going to be years when the schedule sets up pretty tough. Like those years when you got to play Georgia and then maybe it ends up being LSU who seems to be picking up under Brian Kelly down there. And that can make for a pretty tough year, you know, basically be a, a very similar schedule to what you had this season. Don't get to like, oh, Tennessee has an easy road all of a sudden. I do think it pretty much with the expanded playoff, I think your goal every year has to be 10, 10 regular season wins. You get two losses, and I think that gets you in the expanded playoff most years, uh, as long as the SEC stays being, you know, kind of the premier conference, which these things do go in cycles. You know, it's possible that eventually that, that flips a little bit. I don't foresee it anytime soon, but – you know, it wasn't that long ago, 2004, that an undefeated SEC team in Auburn didn't even play in the BCS championship game. So it can flip. It, it's 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 it goes through cycles. Uh, it, it, I, I like the setup better because, I you know, it's, it's kind of weird when you don't play LSU for, you know, seven, eight years or Arkansas or a lot of those SEC West teams that you don't see that often. I, I miss seeing a lot of those games like we used to before. Texas A&M and Missouri joined the SEC uh, back in 2012. So I, I think it's a better setup, but I don't think it really makes Tennessee's – I think the expanded playoff is, will have much more of an impact on Tennessee's postseason chances than this schedule change. I agree with that. Your schedule is going to be tough no matter what. It's SEC football. That's the way it is. You know, nobody – even the teams that don't have to play Alabama and Georgia every year like Tennessee does – they have a tough time too. Now, something that I am very hopeful that this will do is get rid of some of these stupid permanent non-conference games, yes. such as Georgia and Georgia Tech. Are you kidding me? Get they should have gotten rid of that a millennium ago. That's the millennium was boring. It hasn't been a I, I don't ugh. I'm sure somebody could tell me I'm wrong that maybe Georgia Tech's played them close. I don't know when the last time Georgia Tech beat them was. I'm sure it was, you know, sometime in their Mark Rick years. I'm sure it happened. But that game is there's no there's no excitement for that game outside of the Georgia fan base. I'm sure. I'm sure Georgia Tech fans probably hate it too because they just get the crap beat out of them every single year. But that game, uh, is it like South Carolina Clemson? You know, I know a lot of people really love that game, but for the most part, it, it's aside from this year, Clemson kind of dominates that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. Some of those like. I don't like the permanent non-conference rivalries at all. <laughs> the last time Georgia Tech won, uh, it was actually, this is, uh, am I am I thinking correctly? This would have been against Kirby Smart, um, 28-27 in 2016. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, that was his first season. I think he lost to Vanderbilt yes. that year. Yeah, uh, and then they won two years before that, 2014. They were really good in 2014, though. They I think they played in like the Orange Bowl that year. 
Um, Georgia Tech back then was kind of, you know, they were in that triple option. Obviously, Tennessee played them in 2017 and, yeah. and won, won the game in overtime, but that was one of the more frustrating games I've ever watched because Tennessee had like two possessions in the first half. So I was at that game. <laughs> I was in the I'm press sorry. box. Oh, that was rough. Um, but hey, you won. That was fun. But um, yeah, I, I hope that that goes away. Clems- Clemson. South Carolina, you know, I'm sure Clemson wants to keep that one around, but I don't think South South Carolina would probably be all right taking that one away. And then, you know, just some of the other ones that are like that, like Florida, Florida State, Kentucky, <sighs> Kentucky, Louisville. Do they play? Kentucky, oh, Kentucky, Louisville. That yeah. one can go. That, like some of those, just like Kentucky, Louisville, great basketball. You got to keep it in basketball, but yeah, football. I mean, come on. I'd rather see like Georgia playing. A USC or, or something like that, you know, somebody different every single year. And and that's not just Georgia. I like those games for everybody, you know, just some of these different power five opponents, Tennessee playing Virginia, you know, to open the season. That's a unique game that we haven't really seen. I would prefer more of that. And because you're locked into these permanent non-conference games, it, 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 it doesn't allow you to do that. Well, hopefully it, it does align the way that people are saying for Tennessee, because I mean, it, it is going to be tough every year, but just to have Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and Alabama be your your three, like yeah, if we're going to have to play Alabama, eventually Saban's going to retire, and then you have Kentucky and Vanderbilt left, and so that's you're always locked into that one. And then maybe some years it'll set up like Georgia next year, where it's just a total cupcake year, and you can maybe just sort of walk into the playoffs. Wouldn't that be nice after all? Yeah, these like years if it, to play. If this was going into oh. effect in 2023. Obviously, the Alabama game would be really tough, especially being in Tuscaloosa. But if it fell on a year where you didn't have Georgia, you're playing a Florida team that's kind of reeling right now, and you're not really sure of the future of that program. Nobody else in the SEC West outside of LSU, who you just played last year, so you probably wouldn't play them again. Nobody else over there really scares you that much. Uh, no. Even Texas and Oklahoma coming in, they're not nearly as strong as they have been in the past, especially Oklahoma. So there are years it can set up nicely uh, i just don't think it'll be that often that you get that i do think for for basketball it'll probably stay largely the same i would guess um essentially because they're already the divisions are gone yeah they're and, already not playing home and homes yeah the, so team. i i don't think that that will change that much outside of just adding more teams but for for football i welcome it i i think it'll be good texas and oklahoma yeah I, I think they're funny schools because I feel like they, from the outside, they're like, yeah, we belong in the SEC and we're blah, 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 blah. And like until this year, Oklahoma could probably make a case. I mean, Lord knows they're a far better SEC team like Missouri. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you've kicked them out of the league. But, um, you know, but I'm <laughs> I'm excited for them to get in here. And to kind of learn how it goes. Because I I want to see like Texas fans in that first season if they go and they like only win five games. <laughs> and then they, you know, are, are you beating your chest now? How are you feeling after you really get in here and you believe? Because everybody just is <sighs> from outside looking in, everybody's like, the SEC, they think they're really special. And they're, <laughs> well, you come in here and see how it really goes. See how you hold up, you know. I mean, that there's reason that we were just over the moon about going 
uh, 11 and two. If Tennessee played in the, you know, American athletic conference, you're feeling about 11 and two would probably be different. So anywho, any other thoughts on that? But uh, in, unless you, you have any, we can move on to a much more positive subject in Tennessee baseball. Yeah. Let's hit the positivity. <laughs> we, we do really need to, don't we? Uh, but, we're going to talk about Tennessee baseball opening their season against uh, Arizona this week. And man, I am so excited to see what they do. Uh, But before we get deep into that, we got to tell you about our next great sponsor, Omaha steaks. (laughs) Though this was funny. They, this was their, uh, their ad this week. It starts this way. Hail to the chief of steaks. (laughs) Enjoy presidential savings on Omaha Steaks favorites, including tender steaks, ocean fresh seafood, air chilled chicken, and more during their President's Day sale. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code VOLS, that is V-O-L-S, at checkout, and you'll get $30 off your order. That's $30 off an endless variety of delicious gourmet foods, from perfectly aged steaks to juicy burgers, decadent desserts, and classic comfort meals. Every bite is backed by their 100% satisfaction guarantee. Visit omahasteaks.com and enter uh, VOLS at checkout and take advantage of this exclusive offer. There is a reason why Omaha Steaks has been the leader of gourmet steaks and food since 1917. No one, and I mean no one, comes close to matching the flavor, tenderness, and value of Omaha Steaks. Uh, I can attest to this. I have gotten it sent directly to my front door, and it comes in this awesome package. You you basically get like a free cooler, which is nice with it, uh, that the steaks come in. And... It, I mean, it just could not be easier. Some of the best quality meat that you can get out there comes right to your door. I mean, what what more could you want? Visit omahasteaks.com, use promo code VOLS at checkout and get an extra $30 off your order. Minimum order may be required. That is Omaha Steaks, promo code VOLS. And uh, this is uh, where our, our segment for Omaha Steaks comes in. That is the Omaha Steaks Who's Cooking segment. Um, and who's cooking? Hopefully, hopefully will be Tennessee baseball. And that's why I wanted to lead in with Omaha Steaks here. Tennessee baseball, I mean, we haven't talked about it much leading up just because the, the season hasn't happened yet and it's just been kind of preseason practices and things like that. Nothing of real note has occurred yet. But the things of note that have occurred are this. Tennessee's three starting weekend pitchers, all three of them, are All-Americans. Preseason, first team All-Americans, all three of them. And then they also have South Halverson. And then they also have an additional All-American in Malia who I think he was second team, and he'll be a fielder for Tennessee. But you got an MLB pitching staff with this team. You lost a bunch of your offense and a decent amount of your fielding, but also got a bunch in the transfer portal coming in on top of Mal Yahuna. He came from Kansas. Um, but you have guys uh, in, in addition to that. And uh, I, I don't want to come in with these kind of expectations, but you're preseason number two. And it's pretty exciting, Zach. Is, is this the team that's going to win, finally win that national title for Vol Baseball? Mm, no, nah, we'll see. I don't like making those <laughs> types of predictions with baseball because it's so dependent on on staying healthy, right? Especially your pitching. To me, the pitching is what's most exciting about this team because you know pitching is what wins. That's what wins late in the season. That's what you can count on. The offense can come and go. You can go through slumps, but the pitching is 
is what can really keep you being an elite team. So I think, yeah, they definitely, of course, just like last year, I think they've got the opportunity to go, uh, go all the way, but you can have a great regular season and it can all fall apart, you know, before you get to Omaha. So it's, it's, it's really hard to make those types of predictions, but I think fans should be just as excited. Uh, but I, I think they got to remember though, especially Tennessee's players that you got to prove it again. Like what you did last year yep. doesn't matter. That's done. All the excitement. It's not you're not just going to pick up where you left off because you want to or because you're at Tennessee. You you got to go out there and, and make your own way. And it's got to be a different team. You know, it's the 2023 team. 2022 team was fun. 2021 team was fun. This is a new era. A lot of new faces. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I think there's plenty of reason for positivity without a doubt. I'm very interested to see how they replace the offensive production because, yeah, with this pitching staff, I mean, you're just going to be locked down in those weekend games. At least you should be, largely. Um, and that's really exciting, but obviously you have to score runs to win games. You have Blake Burke, who was a straight-up firecracker last season um, and had some really electric moments. Um, but outside of him, I mean, you lost Jordan Beck. You lost Drew Gilbert and you lost Trey Lipscomb. And you lost all of these guys that were just really great hitters. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I got all this right. This was uh, from friend of the show, Ben McKee, one of our only two times, two time guests. Uh, but he, let's see, he said from uh, Ben on 247 today, he said Vitello and his staff at the transfer portal hard. When the in window opened up, they added Maui Ahuna from Kansas, Cincinnati outfielder Griffin Merritt, Alabama third baseman Zane Denton, who I believe is a Knoxville native, um, Charlotte right-hand pitcher Andrew Lindsay, in addition to several key junior college arms that appear poised to factor into the pitching staff this season. Uh, the, the article that Ben wrote was uh, about preseason predictions for Tennessee in the NCAA tournament. It wasn't a prediction for who will win the NCAA tournament, but where teams will end up. Um, Tennessee was projected as the number two overall seed and a number one seed. Um, and that's obviously really exciting. Tennessee was the number one overall seed last season, and that ended sadly in, in a defeat to Notre Dame. But I think I think this team... The, the chemistry is where I, I wonder what what it'll be like because it was just so magic last season and they don't have those those super fiery dudes like no, Beck and Gilbert exactly but does that almost work in their favor I that I wonder that too maybe they'll be a little more poised maybe they'll be a little more just kind of grounded and focused instead of wanting to bat flip right in your face I I I don't, I don't know. Or maybe I they'll think, come out in that same way. I, I think you're going to see a lot of similarities. I mean, it's going to be the, it's going to be a different team, right? I mean, it's different personalities. It'll be a different version of Tennessee baseball. But I think you're going to see a lot of the same kind of bravado and swagger because it starts with Tony Vitello. I mean, that comes from him. He allows his guys to play that way. If he was at Arkansas coach, for example, uh, you would see similar similar antics or, or whatever you want to call it with the same players. Like you'd see the same type of swagger because that comes from the top. It comes with how you manage the team, how you run your roster. It all starts with Tony V. Uh, this is the guy that was sitting courtside in an easy E shirt with a, you know, black Tennessee hat that everybody wants to buy now at the Missouri game. He's just got that, got that attitude. 
like Josh Heupel, it's very genuine. It doesn't feel forced. He's just being himself, and he lets his players be themselves. So whatever personalities are on this team, you know, I'm sure there will be some quiet guys, some more louder guys, guys with more swagger, guys that want to bat flip. Whatever it is, he's going to let that personality come out of them. So it, it'll they'll be their own team. They'll they'll have, will have different characters this 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 season. But I think you'll see just them be themselves. And Tony Vitello has shown that he'll allow that. I hope so. And I, yeah, I mean, knowing Tony, he's going to let them be what they want to be. Character wise, um, that team last year wanted to be that that just over the top bravado filled team, and maybe this one will also be that. Maybe it won't be. I'm I'm on I'm like on pins and needles though. I you know it's it's a Friday night, and typically like Friday night's a night where I just like to do whatever I want to do and forget about you know Tennessee sports don't typically happen on Fridays. Like there's step away, but. I'm gonna be tuning in. I I'm not missing this because I'm I'm really excited to see what happens with this baseball team. Um, and there are something else I think people is gonna be fun to watch this year. Like somebody like Maui Ahuna, uh, like he's gonna be a future MLB player most likely. He's got a very marketable name. That, that, the NIL deals that he gets, oh, that's gonna be interesting to see and how it helps recruiting moving forward. This team's on television. I think 14 like not streamed like national television 14 times this season. They didn't have that last year. I think as much hype as Tennessee got last year, if they're just as good this year, that's just going to explode. It's going to go to a whole nother level in 2023. And that's going to be really fun to watch. I think you got to get like a, like a sushi restaurant in Knoxville. It's got to be the Maliahuna tuna roll. (laughs) Something like that. The, with that name, the possibilities are endless. Um, oh yeah! So it's just really, really exciting what what could happen with that team. But I mean, with with Beam and Dolander and that whole pitching staff, it you you look at the teams that have historically won College World Series. I mean, that's the type of teams that have. Like the last one that Vandy won, they had Kamar Rocker and um, Jack Leiter. Jack Leiter. You, you know, they they just had those transcendent pitchers and and dolander is i mean he's the dude he's he's the preseason pitcher of the year nationally uh, i believe by whatever service gives that out and like you have that kind of prowess on this team and you i hate to put it this way but it's almost like if you don't win it with teams like this when are you gonna win it (laughs) like like that's i i hate that but i think it also holds true it's like the baseball is weird. I mean, Ole Miss was certainly not the best team in America last year and they won and Mississippi state the year before that wasn't the best team in America. And they won. Yeah. To, to me, baseball, but, like I've said this before, it's about the journey. Like you want to win, of course, but if you don't win, like last year wasn't a failure to me because they didn't make it like that. That didn't yeah. erase what happened during that really extremely fun regular season to me, baseball. Yeah, you want to win it, but it's about the journey, the ride to get there, the spring and summer leading up to that, everything that you get to experience, the great moments. That, to me, is what it's about. You get into that tournament situation or a playoff situation, you just don't know if your pitching's going to hold up. You don't know if guys are going to go into a slump, another team gets hot, like you mentioned with Ole Miss. Like, they weren't the best team in the country last year. They weren't even close to the best team in the country. And just because they won the College World Series doesn't mean they were the best team in the country. It just 
the cards fell right for them uh, in that particular month. So that that's not what it's about to me. Like I don't feel like you can. There's just so many variables that you can't account for. Play playing right at the right time, but yeah. At, at the and same baseball time, baseball is weird. Baseball is just a weird sport in general. At times, it, it is. At, at the same time, you only lost nine games all season last year, so you can be good and just win. <laughs> you know, like, oh, like yeah. there, there is that. It's maybe a little more of that in college baseball, where you can override teams with talent. MLB is pretty, you know, competitive across the board. But uh, we shall see. We'll see what happens when they they take the field on Friday night in in Arizona, right against Arizona, I believe. Yeah, in and they're Glendale? in uh, Scott, Glendale, Scottsdale. I think they're in different different. Uh, locations for each game in Arizona. We'll say Eric does make a point here that I guess I, I need to mention. He says last year, the media was calling them the best team in college baseball history. So it was pretty disappointing when you don't win at all. When you put it like that, yeah, that is, you can't be the best team in college baseball history and then, you know, not, not make it, not, not win at all. So that, yeah, I, I can see that aspect of it. And in that situation, I guess with so much hype and the way that they went on that streak of not losing the series, I guess you could call it a little bit of a disappointment. That is pretty much what I would say about it. It's extremely fun, but at the end of the day, it was a disappointment. Um, yeah, they Mr. Jones says soon. in the comments there, peak too soon. Yeah, that's that's the right way to say it. And uh, we'll end the show on this uh, beautiful Monday. It's really nice outside here in Knoxville. Um, you found an article, Zach. That was about coaches that are potentially college football coaches that are potentially either on the hot seat coming up or on the docket for retirement. Um, and some of the names mentioned there are pretty interesting. So we'll talk about that to end the show right after I tell you about Farm Bureau Health Plans, uh, our, our final great sponsor for the show today. Farm Bureau Health Plans has been helping Tennesseans for over 75 years. Much has changed in Tennessee over the years, but some have stayed the same. Farm Bureau Health Plans has always valued personal relationships, especially when it comes to good health and good service. Plan on Farm Bureau Health Plans for health. Dental and vision. For better coverage, better rates, and better service, go to fphp.com slash ATOZ or walk into one of their 200-plus locations across the state. That is fphp.com slash ATOZ. Farm Bureau Health Plans. Thanks to them. Thanks to all the sponsors today. Helping the show out, supporting the boys. Now, Zach, who are some of the names on this list that folks watching this show might find notable? Yeah, so this is from ESPN's Adam Rittenberger, and it's a hot seat in retirement watch. And so he doesn't have anybody on the hot seat yet in the SEC, but he's got a few names to keep an eye on. Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, which I think we all kind of would assume, even with that big buyout, which I assume would lessen a little bit going into next season. I mean, you're getting paid that much. You gotta, you gotta win eight, nine games, ten games a year at the least. Eli Drinkwitz from Missouri, obviously, even though he just received that extension, I don't think he's won more than six games in a season yet down there at Missouri. I don't think you want to pay so. five million dollars or whatever he's getting paid to win six games a year at most. And then Billy Napier at Florida, uh, Rittenberger mentions that it's like, hey, if if he doesn't get to a doesn't think he's on the hot seat, doesn't get to a bowl game though in year two maybe people in Gainesville with all that's going on in the NIL stuff, they get a little restless. They decide, you know, they moved on quick from Dan Mullen. 
I imagine they would do the same with Billy Napier. I don't think he's got any equity at all in Gainesville, so he could be one that's quickly out the door if things don't turn around. I hope he stays just good enough to not get fired if he's going to stay on this path. But then the big one, of course, they put Nick Saban on retirement watch. And there are no there are no inside sources on this, but Rittenberger is, you know, he's a he's a guy that's been around. Like, he's a pretty popular he's ESPN. reporter. Yeah. yeah. And he suggested, hey, you know, if, if Saban can get one more national title, if he can get past Georgia that one last time with all the changes in the NIL and transfer portal, you're seeing a lot of the older coaches. You know, we've already seen it in college basketball a lot. Guys kind of like, okay, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. You see Jay Wright, Roy Williams, Coach K. And he's Nick Saban, you know, if he gets that one last championship, could go that same path. You know, he's in his 70s. He's, what, 72? It's going to happen eventually. Maybe it doesn't happen for another 10 years. I don't know. But I don't see him coaching when he's 80. Uh, no. I don't think he'll coach that long at all. And I think it'll be a very – you remember like when Bob Stoops retired, it was very sudden. He kind of had his succession plan in place. I think that's what you'll see with Alabama. And I don't know who that person will be. And uh, I mean, don't laugh at it, but it, it wouldn't shock me if next season, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to retire for this season. I, I really don't. He's going to bring Jeremy Pruitt back to Tuscaloosa eventually. He tried this offseason. I mean, that's his right-hand guy outside of Kirby Smart. Did Pruitt learn enough from his time at Tennessee uh, to be trusted with that? I mean, I know it sounds silly just because based on what happened at Tennessee, but Nick Saban's already been there at Alabama. He can continue on in that Nick Saban way if that's his. He's gonna. I mean, he's gonna leave it to somebody. I don't think Nick Saban's gonna retire and say, "Hey, y'all find a new coach. I'm out." I don't think that's going to happen, and I don't. I don't think it'll be Lane Kiffin either. I. I he don't think to. it'll be Lane Kiffin because he's just not dependable to stay in one place and to be no. consistent. And he really hasn't done that much either. Uh, he's had a pretty good year at Ole Miss, but that's about it. There really is not like if he were to retire this season at the moment, or if he were to have retired just now, like just after this past season. There's not a guy that I look to and go, oh yeah, that's the natural successor to Saban, even on his own staff and, or in his coaching tree, who would it be? Derek yeah, well, Dooley. <laughs> Bring in Derek Dooley. <laughs> you know, he did, he did, he did interview Derek Dooley for his offensive coordinator position before he hired mm. Tommy Reese. He was, and he's at Alabama as an analyst. So it wasn't like anything crazy, but I don't think Kiffin would even want the job as much as he targets these jobs and the Auburn deal. I think even Kiffin knows that nobody wants to follow Nick Saban in Alabama. It's going to be, you're going to be the guy before the guy at best. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's going to be like a Lincoln Riley situation where you're able to just pick up right where, you know, Bob Stoops left off and really Riley did better than Bob Stoops did those last few years. I'm with you. I don't know who it would be. There are no clear answers I mean, it, at all. Yeah. It'll, it'll be Holly Warlick following Pat Summit. It will be. Yeah. You know, Hubert Davis following Roy Williams. Like, it'll be an extremely tough job. So, I'm not sure where they go. They're going to have to pay out the absolute butt. I, I can tell you that. Like, whoever, if it's Dabo, whoever they, you know. Dabo is like the one, the one person I think that would be connected to it, obviously, because he, you know, did Alabama. But he did Clemson so long. He spent way more time in Clemson, South Carolina, than he has in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. 
in his life. He's mm-hmm. way more connected in Clemson. He has way more. His roots are in at Clemson. You know, they're not really at Alabama. So, do you want to give that up to go follow Nick Saban at Alabama, knowing that you've got to rebuild the culture? Because the culture at Alabama now is not the culture at Clemson. Two completely different things. Dabo yeah. is not the Nick Saban way. He's not a Nick Saban guy. He was never at Alabama when Nick Saban was there. So it's a completely different philosophy. I would think Alabama would want to go with somebody that's kind of been in that Nick Saban way. I don't know. It's It, it will be fascinating answer. when that day finally comes. It'll be fascinating to see where they go. Uh because Lord, Lord knows. I mean, it all, and it, it really has been the last few years. Just Titans finally stepping away, like you said, K. Roy Williams, all of those guys, um, finally going away. And like, how long can you, you know, keep that up if you're seventy some years old? You have no time off. Essentially, you're recruiting your own roster. You know, in addition to high school kids, in addition to the portal, uh, dealing with all the staff turnover, he's got two new coordinators this year, a couple of new assistants. He's having to go through that every single off season. At some point it's not, and you're not winning championships anymore. Like you were, I mean, I know he's still won one in, you know, the COVID year, but obviously he looked like he slipped. I mean, he lost to Tennessee for the first time since 2006. I mean, that's things aren't going in the right direction at Alabama. I'm not saying they're about to fall off the face of the earth. I mean, they might go 12 and 0 this year. I have no idea. They have a really good class coming in. But everybody's kind of catching up to him. Uh, I, I don't know how much longer he can keep on with that. Here's the way that I need him to go out. He re- he announces his retirement prior to the season like Coach K did. And then they do the farewell tour. He comes to Knoxville, whatever. He, so maybe the year after this one. 2024. Um, and instead of giving him a tribute, we all boo him um, and throw things at him. And then we beat him. And obviously Tennessee beats him that year. Then we play Alabama in the SEC championship game. uh, And you beat Saban then too. And then Tennessee wins the national championship. And that's the perfect final season for Nick Saban. You just like (laughs) describe what UNC almost did to Coach K. (laughs) That's exactly, yes. (laughs) I, I said that at that time. Think about if you were UNC, where you would just in perp forever. You would have that over them. In perpetuity well, they, for the rest of time. They probably you, feel you, like they won the championship last year oh, when they beat Duke in the Final Four. Who cares what happens in the Kansas game? They beat Duke yes. in the Final Four. You beat Duke in the Final Four, beat Duke. It, was it at Cameron yeah, on his yeah. final game? It was his last home game. I mean, come on. That would be so, so amazing. Uh, but oh, that would be, yeah. That would be even better if you beat him in Tuscaloosa. God, that, would, last time. that would be incredible. I... So hopefully uh, that does happen and and the dream can be fulfilled. We'll see. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's it for uh, today's show. I'm Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan uh, right down below us. That's all of the great sponsors that uh, have gotten on board here with the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of them. And especially thank you to every single person that watches this show. You guys are too good to us. Too awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in and and commenting and hanging out. Um, It's been uh, excellent as always. Zach, anything else for the folks at home before we bounce? I think that's about it. Let's see how this Alabama game goes Wednesday night. Maybe uh, maybe we'll have a reason for some more positivity at the end of the week. 
That would be nice. Maybe, like I said, if Tennessee wins, maybe on Thursday we'll do a we'll do a quick second. Oh, yeah, oh, is, is Tennessee turning the turn of the quarter? Uh, all right, yeah, that's it. Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan. Every you, I mean, you're this far into it, you know where to find us on all of the stuff. Go subscribe, rate, review, blah, 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 and we will talk to y'all maybe later this week, maybe next week. See you guys later.